This is the third of a series of sermons preaching through the book of Revelation. And I've already received my very first serious criticism. And it came from a dear sister who said, the page to take notes on is not big enough. Because you're saying so much and I have not enough room to write it all down. So my word to her and to you, if that's your problem, is get two bulletins and get two pages. And I do want you, even if you don't take notes, to notice that each week I'll be putting the chapters we're covering on the top uh, corner. And in the middle, I will put what I want you to be reading in the next week for the next lesson, because as we get into this series, we're going to be covering some pretty large sections of Scripture, and it will help if you read ahead. And so for next week, be reading Revelation chapter 4. Now, if you watch us online, you don't have bulletins, and so we're going to make sure when we say goodbye to you each week, we will tell you what to be reading ahead. And so I want to welcome all of you that are watching online. You might not know that we are a multi-campus church. We have a campus in North Richmond Hills, a campus in South Lake, and a campus in West Fort Worth. And typically I preach at the campus in North Richmond Hills. This weekend I'm privileged to preach at South Lake Campus, and I hope early in March to preach at West Fort Worth Campus. And I feel so blessed because I've got three places that are such awesome places to preach. And every time I preach, no matter what campus I'm at, I leave thinking, I wish I could be here every week. Because... That's the joy I receive when I do that. I wonder how John felt in exile on the island of Patmos. Because he can spend time with the Lord. I, I don't care where you are, you can spend time with the Lord. And that's what he was doing on the Lord's day. He was worshiping in the Spirit when he received this great revelation. He could still spend time with the Lord, but he couldn't spend time with his churches. He couldn't personally strengthen them and encourage them for what he said are the events that must soon take place. Because his churches were facing a great coming crisis as Rome, referred to in the book of Revelation as Babylon, was demanding of the Christians an allegiance That only Christ should have. And so he receives this revelation from Jesus and about Jesus. Where Christ pulls back the curtain. And John is able to see that this struggle is not just between Rome and the church. It's really a cosmic struggle between God and Satan being played out in the church. And I'll bet John remembered what he heard Jesus say, that I'm going to build a church, and through my church, I'm going to take on hell. But as he sees this vision, he also begins to realize that through the church, Satan was going to try to take on heaven. Because both Jesus and Satan are trying to accomplish their agenda by choosing churches. So we come to chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation. And you'll remember last fall, there's so much rich material here that I devoted a series to every single church. 
And so what we're going to do this time is just kind of fly over and recall those highlights. But isn't it interesting that the book of Revelation starts in chapter 1 with this awesome image of a perfect Christ. And next time we'll get to chapter 4, we'll have this awesome image of a perfect heaven. But in between the perfect Christ and the perfect heaven are these two chapters of a very imperfect church. And I don't need to tell anyone listening, the church has lots of problems. But one of the reasons it does that you need to remember is because the church has an enemy. It's interesting to me that every single significant text in the New Testament about spiritual warfare is addressed to a church. For 20 centuries, the church has been under attack by God's enemy. Now, you know that much of that has been bold, frontal attacks. And in every century, Christians have been persecuted. And right now, it's as bad as ever around the world. But Satan is cunning. When possible, he would choose infiltration. Over direct confrontation. And the Bible warns us about this. In fact, Jesus did. He told this parable about the kingdom of God. He said, a man goes out and sows good seed in the field. And when it comes time to harvest, they go out and and they see a lot of wheat. But they also see tares in the field. And they say, Master, where did these tares come from? And he said, my enemy sowed that seed in my field. Jesus warned us there would be spies in the pews. Some time ago, I got to see a preacher joke book. What was neat about this book, it was written in the 1860s. It was jokes preachers used back then for their sermons. Now, most of the jokes were dated and not usable, but there was one that will still work, and I'm going to prove it. So this guy is going to a costume party, and he puts on a devil costume. And as he's going to the party, a terrible storm comes up with lightning and thunder, and he needs shelter, and he sees a church building, and that church is having a revival. And so he runs to that church building for cover, and he comes in the back door in the middle of their worship, and there's thunder, and there's rain, and the people turn around, and there's the devil. And everyone goes crazy and they start climbing over each other, jumping out of windows to get out of there as fast as they can. Except one old man at the front, his trench coat gets caught under the pew and he's stuck. And the next thing you know, he is in this empty church building with Lucifer himself. And he turns around and he says, devil, you need to know I've been faithfully attending this church for over 40 years. But you also need to know I've been on your side the whole time. That's a 150-year-old joke, and it still works. Because everybody understands that there's spies in the pews. John is writing to real churches that are facing a real crisis. Because Rome is demanding an allegiance incompatible for citizens of the new Jerusalem. 
And as you remember in chapter 2 and chapter 3, these seven churches, they're responding to the different pressure by choosing different reactions. You remember some of the churches are sold out to Christ. And some of the churches are just selling out. Because Satan, if he has to, will be a persecutor. But he would much prefer to be a seducer. And so to every church and in every age, Jesus says, pick New Jerusalem and come out of Babylon. And Satan makes an overture and it is, you can live in Babarusalem. And that's the tension of the book of Revelation. That Satan is always looking to enter the church through the side door of compromise. He's trying to make it hard for churches to stand out by making it easy for churches to blend in. And the approach is so subtle that most churches don't even know what's happening. And all over the world there are nations where hundreds of years ago the church was strong and mighty. And now the church buildings are empty and the cathedrals are museums and no one even saw it happening Some years ago in Pennsylvania, this little town built a brand new courthouse, police station, fire station. The whole town turned out for the dedication. It cost a lot of tax money. And in a couple of months, they were having trouble shutting the windows and closing the doors. Cracks started showing up in the walls. And before long, the foundation began to shift. And within a few months, they had to condemn the whole building. And people were upset. It cost a lot of tax money. And they did some research. And here's what they found out. That miles away... Underground, coal miners were setting off explosions and the reverberations were coming under the ground. No one felt it. No one heard it. And it was causing that foundation to subtly shift until before long the building couldn't stand. Jesus is no absentee landlord. He is among the lampstands. He knows what's going on in his churches. And because he loves his churches, he calls attention to their blind spots so that she can choose a better citizenship. Because we've got to be on guard to the overtures of Babarusalem or over time, our lack of diligence will lead to lack of relevance. Here's what happens. Like I said, Satan, he'll choose persecution. He'd rather choose seduction. He would rather slowly, subtly erode the church through compromise. Let me tell you how to recognize the church of Babarusalem. Over time, this church will water down doctrine. See, Babylon can tolerate a politically correct church. But Babylon will always find the gospel of Christ offensive. So we've got to be on guard. And again, we've been warned about this. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts told the Ephesian elders, Be on your guard. Savage wolves will come into the flock to distort the truth. Paul told Timothy, Preach the word, for there are many among you who will teach what he calls 
doctrines of demons. Okay, now, Rick, I've never heard anybody teach me to worship Satan. And they won't. Nobody comes into the church and promotes the devil. But many teach things that diminish Jesus. Listen to what Jude says. Some people have secretly entered your group. Long ago, the prophets wrote about these people who will be judged guilty. They're against God and have changed the grace of our God into a reason for sexual sin. And they also refuse to accept Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Here's what happens in the church of Babylon. You will get teaching that will do two things. Suddenly, it will challenge the uniqueness of Jesus and it will challenge his call to holiness. And Jesus had to call out some of his own churches for letting this stuff in. Remember, for example, what he told the church in Pergamum in Revelation 2, 14 and 15. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. There will always be teachers available if what you want to live is a compromised life. But they can't be made available to teach in the church. This is a challenge I take very seriously as a pastor teacher. This is a challenge all the elders of our church accept from Jesus. We cannot control what you believe personally. But we must control what gets taught publicly. Because many churches in our country are drowning in a sea of inoffensiveness. Because they want to live in Babarusalem. And so do they mock the story of creation at the universities? Then let's start teaching a view of how the world came to be that the universities won't laugh at. Do they mock the idea of a word that is inspired? Then let's come up with views of the Bible that take away its authority. Do they mock the idea of marriage being only between a man and a woman? Then let's redefine marriage outside of what the Bible calls it. This goes on all the time. Miracles? Are you kidding me? In our age of enlightenment? And so there are many churches today that don't even believe in the miracles in the Bible. It wasn't long ago I talked to a major theologian of a major seminary in this area. And he could not look me in the eye and tell me he believed in the resurrection. And I guarantee you the identity of Christ... And his sole claim to be Lord is being subtly undermined. And over and over to every single church, Jesus says this. If you have an ear, you better listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And if you are one of these believers that likes your truth cafeteria style. And you just pick and choose the parts of the Bible you want to listen to and obey. And you get rid of the parts that you don't like. You are living in Babarusalem. Now why is this so important? Because what we believe always impacts how we 
behave. They always go together. And so, over time, if a church waters down its doctrine, that same church will start to tone down its morals. Remember, Jesus said, you've got some there that teach like Balaam. Now, remember Balaam in the Old Testament. Here's what happened. The children of Israel are going to the promised land. And one of the pagan kings hires Balaam. He was kind of a prophet for sale. Put a curse on those people. And every time he opened his mouth, God put a blessing in his mouth. He couldn't put a curse on them. But he knew how to get them to put a curse on themselves. And so he got some loose women from a foreign country. And he sent them into the camp. And the men of Israel began to have sex with them. And the moral distinctness of the people of God got toned down. And they put a curse on themselves. The church of Babarusalem has a dimmer on its lampstand. And it likes to turn it down. Remember what Jesus told the church in Thyatira? Chapter 2 verse 20. I have this against you. You let that woman Jezebel spread false teaching. She says she's a prophetess. But by her teachings, she leads my people to take part in sexual sins and to eat food that is offered to idols. Now, let me tell you how to know if something is wrong with your heart. When you start wondering how close you can get to sin without getting stained, warning lights should go off. If you're a baseball fan, you might recognize the name of Oral Hershiser. He was a great pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he was asked one time about theories of pitching. He says, well, there's basically only two. One theory is to confuse the batter. He's looking for a fastball, you throw a curveball. He's looking for a slider, you throw a changeup. But the second theory is to know what the batter likes. He likes a fastball. Well, throw him one, but just a little too high. He likes the ball on the outside part of the plate. Well, throw it there, but just a little too far outside. Throw what he likes, but just make it a little outside the boundary. You don't even need me to apply that illustration, do you? You can do it yourself. We are called to inject the light of Christ into the world and yet so often the church is reflecting the world do you know where I heard my first racist joke do you know where I heard my first racial epitaph it was out in the porch between Bible class and worship at my little church listening to the deacons while they smoked we weren't Challenging the culture, we were reflecting it. I know some of you ladies think I'm just some old fundamentalist nerd, but I'm going to keep saying it. What the magazines say in style is not the point. What honors Christ is the point. And when you wear things among the people of God that cause the men of God to have to turn their eyes... Then you've lived in Babarusalem. The church believes 
that the dollar should be worshipped. And you can go to any city and turn on the TV and hear preachers that have baptized the lust for more money instead of challenged it. And since I'm already in trouble, (laughs) and I say this with a heart in the right place, and I hope you hear it, because I know some of you have been through the pain of divorce, and I do not want to make that burden greater. But I wonder in my lifetime if I haven't even seen the church shift there. Some of you know, when I was a little boy, my parents separated. I lived a whole year of my life with my mother and not with my father. They were brand new Christians. They didn't know much. And there was one main reason they didn't divorce. The church told them not to. The church told them to fight for their marriage. The church told them God hates divorce. That was 50 years ago. I have to wonder today, if my parents were split up and I was their son, what would the church tell them? I'm not trying to dump on anybody. I'm simply asking us, are we challenging the values of Babarusalem? Or are we letting those values change us? We flirt with the world. And then we're shocked that we have affairs. James chapter 4. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now please understand, God is not expecting His church to be full of perfect people. The church is for sinners. We're all broken people. We're all flawed people. And by the way, if you're one of those people who says, I know it, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. No, you are not a hypocrite if you try to follow Jesus and stumble. Everybody does. You're a hypocrite if you stumble and you act like you don't. We all stumble. It is okay that none of us are perfect. But it's not okay if we're not in process. It's not okay if we're not trying to move in the direction of living and looking more like Jesus. And when we have a bigger vision of Jesus, the church gets brighter. And we don't turn down that lampstand. We turn it up. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And one more sign, the church is living in Babarusalem when it turns down her passion. Not every church in Babarusalem is comprised or compromised doctrinally or morally. Some are quite sound and sound asleep. And that's because it takes more to make a marriage than just loyalty. It takes love. You see, I didn't marry marriage. I married Jamie. And the reason I enjoy being married more today than I did 30 years ago is not because I'm in love with marriage. I'm in love with Jamie. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 4, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other. As you did at first. I get that. It is easier for me. And probably for you. To study the Bible. To go to church. To try to be moral. 
to do some ministry than it is just to stay in love with Jesus. And I believe a waning obsession for Christ is the struggle behind most all our struggles. Well, the church needs to bring more lost people. Well, yes, we do. But we'll have a bigger burden for the lost when we have a bigger love for Christ. Well, the church should be more generous. Yes, we should. And we will be more sacrificial when we have a bigger love for Christ. You ready for this one? I think there's a lot of Christians who want just enough of Jesus to keep them out of hell. But not so much he'd keep them out of the world. Not so much that they would join him in helping him save the world. And so many churches have become little more than hospices. We're nice, organized places taking care of each other till we die. Some years ago in the Netherlands, this rather undistinguished man walked into a church service. He sat down and this woman that was a member there walked up a minute or two later and let him know in no uncertain terms that he was sitting in her family's pew and needed to move. So he did. He went to the back of the building and sat down. And when the service was over, he quickly left. And someone came up to her later and said, do you know who you spoke to? That's King Oscar of Sweden. He's in the country visiting our queen. Babarusalem replaces the call of the cross with this placid call just to be nice. And maybe you've been to the church of Babarusalem. And it does a lot of things right, but something doesn't feel right. The king isn't there. It's one of the most sobering verses in all the Bible, what Jesus had to say to the last church, the Laodicean church, chapter 3, verse 20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is having to ask his own church to let him back in. I get a lot of calls from parents. Their kids are moving away and want my advice on a church to go to. Or maybe they're moving to a different city and they want to know of a church I can recommend. And, and here's what I've decided. Churches are different. My children may pick a church where they believe a few things differently than me. Where they do a few things differently than us. That doesn't matter. Will that church hold up Christ? Will that church believe in the Bible? And most of all, will that church help my kids stay in love with Jesus? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In every single letter, Jesus says, to him who overcomes. Jesus is saying, you can win this battle. You don't have to sell out. You can be sold out to me. You can be a victor. You don't have to live in Babarusalem. And there's a lot of things we can do to overcome. But I think the Lord gave me an insight this week I've never had before. And I want to share with you right now that overcomers... Choose a church that demands a choice. 
A church that's going to expect them to choose. You see, overcomers aren't looking for a church with a vision. They're looking for a place where Jesus' vision has a church. It's not both and. It's either or. Babylon or New Jerusalem. And the church of Babylon is never going to have Jesus' vision because they don't have a big vision of Jesus. Please hear me. Jesus is not just asking us to turn down Babylon. He's asking us to stand up to Babylon. He said to the church in Smyrna, a sold-out church that was getting clobbered by the devil. He says this to them, chapter 2, verse 10, you don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful, even if you have to die, and I will give you the crown of life. There's a story in a book called, All But Your Land is Beautiful. About a man named Robert Mansfield. He was the principal of a school in South Africa during the terrible days of apartheid. Now, his school was white children, and they were scheduled to play a school of black children in a sporting match. And his board of directors barred him from letting his children play the other school. He resigned his post and took a stand against apartheid. And a friend said to him, you know you're going to be wounded, don't you? You know that. And here's what he said. When I meet God, he's going to say, where are your wounds? And if I say, well, I don't have any, he will say, Was there nothing to fight for? And I couldn't face that question. I think I owe you an apology. All of you listening to this message on every campus and even online. I think maybe there's been times in the past when I haven't been bold enough in asking you to make a choice. I think there have been times in the past when I haven't Asked more of you. And with God's help, I'll do better. We're supposed to be holy people. Make a choice. Our clothing, our entertainment choices, our language should reflect that we're different. Make a choice. The way we treat people of different colors and different ethnicities and different economic statuses should be stellar and set an example. Make a choice. The way we witness to the lost should make it clear our citizenship. Make a choice. And choose a church that's going to ask you to make a choice. And most of all, I need to apologize if you've sat under my teaching for any amount of time 
and have not heard me clearly call you to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. I hope I've never diminished the need for Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the only way to be right with God. He is the only righteousness under which you can stand before a holy God. It's not about being good. It's not about coming to church. It is about a bold decision to make Him your Lord and your Savior. It starts with baptism and it continues with following, make a choice. Make a choice. And remember this. He chose you first. Let's all stand for prayer. And even as we stand, would the prayer teams come forward? And so, God, I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that you would move in the hearts of those who are tired of Babarusalem. They're tired of one foot in the kingdom of men and one foot in the kingdom of God. I pray that they will do something today, that they will make a choice that changes their impact on eternity. I'm praying especially right now for people who are struggling with sin, struggling with holiness, struggling with apathy, moving their hearts, God. Cause them to step out today, to come, to confess, to ask for prayer. To make a move in the direction of Jesus. But I pray even more for those who have never publicly declared Jesus. I pray, God, they will not rest. They will not have a spirit of ease until they deal with the question that is above every question. Who is Jesus? And what am I going to do with him? And thank you, God. That before we ever chose in Jesus, we were chosen. In his name we pray. Amen. Please come.